you can tell a lot about someone's love for something or someone based on how they interact with it. So take dogs, for example. We have a dog, a little dog named Chase, and like every dog on the planet, he loves to meet new people. And so every time we have someone new over, right, it's new person, new smells, and hopefully new belly rubs or whatever, and Chase just gets so excited. But it only takes us a few seconds together in, in the entry of our home to figure out if that person's a dog person or not, right? Because here's the deal. When your dog comes rushing up in that moment and someone's in your house, everyone's going to say the same thing. Oh, yeah, we love dogs, right? But it only takes a few seconds to figure out if they love dogs or just love the idea of you having a dog, right? And inevitably then, when we introduce them to Chase, we find this out based on how they reach over to, to pet him, you know? If it's a, oh, hey, buddy, or if it's a, <laughs> then we know instantly, right? Because you can tell someone's love for something based on their interaction with it. The same is true with kids, right? Like when you're holding a kid and someone comes up, it's, oh, is that your child? They're beautiful, most beautiful child on the planet, right? I love kids. And then you go to hand them your child, then you find out if they really like children or not, or just like the idea of you holding one. Because in that moment, you hand off your child because they're screaming, or you drop something, right? And then it's like, oh, aren't, aren't you sticky? And like, does, does mommy have hand sanitizer in her bag? Because it's in that moment that you can determine someone's love for someone else based on their interaction with them. And what's true in the real world is true in the spiritual as well. You can tell a lot about someone's love for people based on how they interact with them. So consider for a moment Jesus. Jesus placed on the spot, put on the spot by, by a leader, a religious leader. Uh, he comes and he asks him this question, which of all the laws is the greatest? And Jesus responds and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then the second, though, is like it, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in that moment, Jesus fundamentally ties our love for God to our willingness to love others. And Jesus perfectly lived this out because if you take a snapshot of Jesus' ministry and look at how he interacted with people, Jesus drew and invited around him those who were unclean, undesirable, the poor, the marginalized, even the highly political. Jesus welcomed to follow him and pursue him, to know him and to trust in him. So over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the example of Jesus. Because for as much as this is what we see in Jesus, the question is, is this what the world sees in us? What does our love for others really look like, and what does that communicate to the world about our love for God? And are we willing to say to the bruised and broken, you belong here? So turn with me to the book of Mark, the New Testament book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark is about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one in the seat rack in front of you, or pull it up on your smart device, uh, whatever app you prefer, the Northeast Bible app, or you can also take notes, by the way. New Testament opens with Matthew, then comes Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Mark chapter 1, and Mark records this for us at verse 40. And if you don't have it in front of you, you can watch on the screens. Mark writes, and a leper came to him, meaning Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, 
if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this is very early in the book of Mark. In fact, Mark opens with Jesus' ministry beginning. He skips the virgin birth. He skips the childhood. He goes right into Jesus' ministry. Here we are in the first chapter. What Jesus does right prior to this is he calls for himself his very first disciples. Then he begins to publicly teach for the very first time. And he begins to heal publicly for the very first time. And as a result of these things, gobs of people now begin to follow Jesus and come to him, yearning to see him, to be touched by him, to be healed by him. Tons of people come flocking to Jesus, including, Mark says here in verse 40, a leper. Now you and I don't have a lot of context for leprosy in our day and age. We don't deal with it. In fact, we have to Google it just to make sure that we have in our minds what we actually think it is. Because in a modern context, leprosy has largely been cured. But in the first century, in the ancient Near East, this disease was the worst of the worst. Understand, medicine was incredibly rudimentary. They did not understand skin disease. They did not understand leprosy. All they knew was that it was highly contagious All they knew is that if you touched someone with leprosy, it was likely to infect you. And once leprosy took hold, it would literally cause your flesh to begin to die off of your body. Starting with the exterior portions, your fingers, your toes, your nose, and your ears. They would literally die and rot and fall off. Leaving you disfigured until somehow it managed to kill you. Leprosy, as a result, was known as the living death. Long before we binge-watched the show Walking Dead, it was, in fact, a real thing. And these people literally walking around as their body died off of them. Because of this, a leopard was a leper, not a leopard, a leper was considered unclean. This is a formal designation that a priest would make. You would go and show yourself to the priest who would also serve a bit like a doctor. I'm not arguing we should do that here. But you would go and you would show yourself to the priest in the skin ailment, and if he deemed it leprosy, he would deem you unclean. And it was a formal designation that would ring out in the community. And if you were deemed unclean, everyone was to separate from you. So if you were deemed to have leprosy, you were no longer allowed to work for fear of infecting those you work with or those you sold your goods to. If you were deemed to have leprosy, you were removed from your own home, from your own family and your own children. If you were found to have leprosy, you were separated from worship and could not gather with God's people to call on God. It was a life 
life-altering sentence of exclusion. And in this protocol, you were required to walk through groups of people and yell out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, to tell people what condition you were in so that they might separate away from you. This was your life. And worst of all, if this wasn't bad enough, there was a belief that existed that if you had leprosy, it was because God was judging you. So not only were you found in this condition completely ostracized, but people wouldn't even have pity on you because they determined it was your fault. So now pause for a moment and consider the story of this man. Put yourself in this story and imagine what it's like to be him. You've done nothing wrong. You're a father, a husband, you have a business, maybe you're a farmer or a carpenter, You gather people in your home and host them, and you linger over long dinners together and tell stories to your children. And then one day you wake up, and there's a spot, and everything changes, and the priest tells you you are unclean, and he doesn't allow you to return home, and you can't even hug your kids goodbye. You're ostracized from the community and moved outside the walls of the city where you live in a ratty tent, or at best, a cave. You're now conscripted to beg for food, which is a hard thing to do when no one wants to even be near you. This is his life, everything taken from him in an instant until one day he hears about a man, Jesus. He's a great teacher, and apparently he's a healer. And some are even rumored to have said that he is possibly our savior a Messiah perhaps to come. No one has more hope in this story of meeting Jesus than this leper. No one is more desperate to get in front of this man for the the sliver of possibility of having his life restored to him. No one is more eager. And so Mark says in verse 40 that he came imploring And he came kneeling before Jesus, and he cried out with his voice these words, If you will, you can make me clean. I would argue no one was more desperate to meet Jesus, and no one had greater faith in Jesus than this leper. Consider his words. If you will, you can make me clean. Is that how you talk to God? Do you have that much faith in God? Or are you still trying to figure out if he can? The leper understood Jesus absolutely had the power to heal him. It was merely a question of if he wanted to. And why would that be a question? Because when your predicament is believed to have been brought on by your sin, and you're standing before a rabbi, then the natural conclusion is that this rabbi will likely want nothing to do with you. And so his question is not, if Jesus is able. His question is merely if Jesus wants to associate enough with him to heal him. I wonder if this isn't in some way a part of the question that the world is asking of us. We know you're able to care for us. We know you're able to love. We just wonder if you want to. 
So he comes before Jesus, and he says, I know you can. Jesus, I just want to know, are you willing? Are you willing to heal someone like me? And Jesus answers. Verse 42, 41 rather, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. When Jesus looked at the man, he did not see a sinner. Now, now of course, he was a sinner because the scriptures say we are all sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, yes, in a very technical sense, Jesus looked at him and saw a sinner. And yet Jesus didn't look at him like a sinner. He had mercy on him. Where everyone else saw him as being at fault and deserving of whatever it is that he has, Jesus was moved. What's interesting in this text is this moved with pity, that word pity, in the, in the Greek, because the New Testament was written in an ancient Greek, in the Greek, that word is actually angry, moved with anger. And that doesn't make much sense to us, which is perhaps why your translation is translated it differently. Because why would Jesus be angry, moved with anger? What's he angry at? Is he angry at the guy? Scholars say, no, he's not angry at the man. He's not angry at the man. He's angry at the condition the man finds himself stuck in. He's angry at the plight. He's angry that he's been ostracized. He's angry at sin. Because Jesus knows this was not God's design for us. The story of Scripture is very clear. A perfect God created us and placed us in a perfect garden so that you and I might enjoy a perfect relationship with him. And he gave us a command, but when we broke the command, everything broke with it. Sin came flooding into the picture. Consequences overwhelmed us. And now death and disease is a part of our reality because of our sin. Jesus was not angry at the man. He was angry because none of this should have ever happened. And Jesus had come for this very purpose, that those who are separated might be redeemed, that those who are cast off might be brought close and near to God and forgiven again. And this is why he is moved, moved towards the man to the point that it says he stretched out his hand and what? Touched. Jesus touched the contagious untouchable. Jesus touched a man that no one wanted anything to do with. How long do you think this man had gone without a touch? How long do you think it had been since he'd felt the warm embrace of his children or the soft kiss on his cheek from his wife, let alone just a simple touch on the shoulder in the marketplace from a friend? Good to see you today, Chuck, because I think his name was Chuck. How long had it been since he had known the warmth of another human's touch, and had that moment of feeling human again. Jesus in this moment doesn't just touch him and doesn't just clean him. Jesus in this moment makes him feel human. Something that perhaps you and I take for granted. We're used to being treated as human. But oh, how unlike Jesus we often are. 
when the homeless person comes up to our car and we're at the stoplight waiting for it to turn green, trying fiercely to keep our eyes fixed on the back bumper of the car in front of us so that we don't catch their gaze, knowing that they want our money. At best, we may crack the window a smidge just to put a crumpled single dollar bill through the crack. But who of us rolls it all the way down? Who of us gets out of the car? Who of us shakes their hand or gives them a hug and lets them know they are human, that they bear the image of God? In that moment, most often we're looking ahead, not wanting to gain eye contact, Because in our minds, we're thinking of all the ways that they've probably blown life because they don't want to work, and they've gotten themselves on something that's kept them from work. Oh, how unlike Jesus we are. Jesus is not mad at the man. He's mad at the condition, but moved by the man. And Jesus, in this moment, shows us what it looks like to love. And Jesus in this moment does the unthinkable by touching him. Here's the thing in this moment. Jewish culture has very set rules about clean and unclean. If something is unclean and it touches you, it makes you unclean. Yes, it's like cooties. In a very real way, you would be rendered unclean by touching this man. How how much more important then is it for Jesus to follow the rules? Because he's a rabbi. His whole ministry depends on his righteousness. And yet Jesus is the one man on the planet who can touch this man and not be rendered unclean, but instead, because of his touch, absolutely render him, the man, clean. Jesus is the one man on the planet that can offer what no one else can because Jesus is not just a man. He is the son of God. And with this one touch, Mark says, immediately the leprosy left him. He was made clean. If a leper was considered the walking dead, a living corpse, then healing him is like raising the dead. Something Jesus is able to do. But Jesus didn't just heal him, he also charged him. Verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, this is an odd exchange, is it not? Wouldn't Jesus want this guy to go tell everyone what he's come to do and the power that he bears? Why would Jesus try to discourage him from being a witness? I would argue Jesus is not trying to discourage him from being a witness. He's actually asking something of him and wanting him to be a witness in the right way. Jesus has a twofold reason in this. First reason is critically important. Jesus wants the man to show himself to the priest because according to Jewish law, once you were healed, you had to go back to the priest who had declared you unclean and offer a sacrifice to God and allow the priest to declare you then formally and publicly clean. Why? So that you could be returned to the community. And without that formal designation by the priest, even if your skin had cleared up, you would still be on the outside looking in. Jesus in this moment doesn't just want to heal the man's skin. He wants to heal his entire life. Jesus isn't just worried about physical restoration. He's worried about corporal, communal restoration, and spiritual restoration. Lepers could only worship if they sat in a segregated area in the church, behind, in the temple, behind a veil. 
behind a curtain built especially for them so that no one would see them and their breath wouldn't get on you. Jesus came, however, to tear the veil. In his death, he literally tore the veil in the temple. Jesus in this moment is seeking to restore this man to worship, to restore him to his people, and to restore him to God. He wants the priest to see it because without the priest seeing it, he's not wholly restored. Do you know this about Jesus? He doesn't just want to forgive you of your sin, but leave you in the same circumstance. He wants to heal the whole you. He doesn't just want to forgive your sin. He wants to restore the relationships. He's offering something for marriages. He's offering something for broken hearts. He isn't just smoothing over what is now. He's able to go back to the past and he's able to jump forward in the future and offer wholeness in a way that no one else and nothing else can give you. Do you know this about Jesus? Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the partial. No. He said, and have it to the full. Full restoration is what God is able to offer. Because Jesus changes what? Everything. That was their theme, by the way. This changes everything for those of you not in tune with all the purple shirts. There's a second reason in this, though. Jesus wants them to go to the priest, he says, for a proof to them. A proof to them. It's not that he doesn't want him to talk. He wants him to talk. He wants him to be a witness to the right people. And why starting with the priests? Because they're leading the people of God. Whatever the priests teach, the people will follow. And they were waiting on the Messiah And the biggest clue to the Messiah in the Old Testament was the fact that when the Messiah would come, he would come with healing in his wings. Isaiah says this, 35, Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God will come with a vengeance, with a recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert places. Jesus came to heal and restore to the full. And he wanted the religious leaders to know it because he wanted even them following him. Jesus had a plan. The leper stepped outside of that. He went and he began to speak, and as a result, Mark tells us that Jesus was no longer able to enter towns. There was too much hustle, too much bustle, maybe even too much opposition, as we'll later see. And he was forced to live and minister then in the desolate places, which only proves why we so desperately need a Savior, because the leper, even in his cleanness, still can't follow the rules. And neither can you. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how righteous you believe your life to be, no matter the rules that you followed that you think qualifies you to be loved by God, it is not enough. For we are all steeped in sin and separated 
And there is not an act that we can offer that cleanses us. We need Jesus. But the story ends there. So, so what's the point of the story? I mean, on the one hand, yes, the point is that God absolutely has the power to heal, but I believe there's more to it that Mark wants us to know. He wants us to know something about this Jesus. God not only has the power to heal, but Jesus' love shows us how to love. Because God, in his power to heal, chose to draw near. And this is the gospel, that God so loved us that he gave his son for us. And John says that Jesus came and wrapped himself in flesh. He became like one of us, that he might walk where we walk and talk as we talk, that he might sit and travel in the dust with us. The scriptures say that Jesus would be tempted in every way that we are and yet be able to carry on without sin. But because of this, he is able to relate to you in your weakness and serve as the perfect intercessor for you, pleading before God for your strength for the things that you face because he's faced the temptation of food and of pornography. Jesus, surrounded by women, understood the temptation but carried himself on, perfectly fixing his eyes on the Father but understanding what it is to be weak so that he might carry you to the Father. Jesus understands the temptation of gossip and exaggeration. He was tempted in every way, the scriptures say. And Jesus then, being perfect, stood in our place so that he might take our penalty and drawing near, render us he was willing to touch the untouchable. And so the point in all of this, the point in Jesus taking on flesh and drawing near, I think is this. We're never more like Jesus than when we are willing to draw near. And our love is proved out in our willingness to draw near. Our love for God and our love for others when without exception and without reservation, we are willing to draw near. The question is, will we? Will we draw near to our neighbors who bother us? Because of the music, because of the weeds, because they park their car a little too far over in front of our house. The humanity. Will we love our coworker who drives us nuts? Who doesn't work as hard as us? but steals the credit that is due us? Will we love the person who frustrates us in our family because they keep doing the same thing over and over again and they can't get their act together? Will we love the person who comes up and asks for money? Are we able to draw near Though our minds would take us to all kinds of places to assume all kinds of things, can we arrest those assumptions and love them as Jesus loved? Perhaps the better question in this is not just will we. The better question might be, is there anyone in your life that you're unwilling to love? Is there anyone in your life that you're unwilling to draw near to and why? 
And can you today go before the Father and ask him to give you eyes to see how he sees, that you would see them as created in the image of God, and that you would be willing to love them as he loves them, and as he first loved you. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Died for us in our uncleanness, not after we had bathed ourselves. I love this quote from Mother Teresa, who has a smidge of experience dealing with unclean, unlovable people. She wrote, at the end of our lives, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we've received, how much money we have made, or how many great things we have done. We will be judged by, and then she quotes from Matthew 25, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. Because Jesus fundamentally tied our love for the Father with our willingness to love and draw near to those he loves. And so the question is, will we? And can you today ask him to show you who it is that he's calling you to love, even if it's hard? But maybe you're here today and, and you feel a, a little bit like the leper in the story. You, you feel a little bit like you're on the outside looking in, like you're the unlovely one in the story, the unclean one. For whatever reason, because of who you are, where you come from, because you're late to the party and you don't understand the lingo, and how do they know when to stand up and sit down? Maybe all of this is foreign to you and you feel like an outsider and you're asking the question if you're welcome and if you're loved. And maybe based on the laundry list of things that you know and you have deep inside of your head and your heart that you hold on to with regret, you ask the question of if God could even love you anymore. But can I just remind you from this story and from the scriptures that God not only loves you, God fiercely loves you. So much that he gave up his son for you. God loves you and he's not ashamed of you. Because when he sees you, he sees something he has wonderfully created. And God longs to heal the whole you. The voices in your head and the things in your past that you think are keeping you from God or keeping you from being lovely to him or anyone else, Jesus came to heal the whole you and promises that his healing is immediate and absolutely renders you clean. The question is, will you, like the leper in the story, Will you pursue Jesus and will you come before him and kneel and invite him to do what only he can do? And if you've never gotten to that point in the story, if you've never placed yourself in those shoes of surrendering your life as the leper did, kneeling before Jesus, then don't stop. Don't stop short of the end of the story. And would you today be willing to take that step? If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact.
Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media, download our app, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.